0: Hey guys, it's Carolyn and Briarly. Yeah, so we're bringing you a bonus episode today. We wanted to talk more specifically about like what anxiety and depression actually are, what symptoms um, present which, with each of those conditions, but then also talk about the lower levels of those conditions that you know maybe don't necessarily warrant. Uh, a diagnosis, and that was what we went into this episode planning to discuss, and we kind of came out with something a little bit different. Yeah,
1: but I think it's really important because I think there's a lot of people probably out there who feel like they aren't bad enough to go see a doctor for medication, or they aren't bad enough to warrant a therapist, but we're going to talk about the subtle signs because, as you'll learn, if it's affecting your life, that's bad enough. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And so we felt like this was important to bring you because I think it's easy, particularly for females, to just keep going, keep moving on when you don't feel like what you've got is bad enough.
0: Exactly. Like sometimes when things feel hard, especially when you become a parent, you have those times where things feel really hard and so you just go harder and you go faster and you go more determined. I don't want to spoil too much, but to hear her talk about how y- how she approaches yes therapy
1: and how she how she views anxiety and depression. Small spoiler:
0: like you don't really need a diagnosis.
1: You don't need a diagnosis at all because there's a lot of people who don't meet that very specific criteria um, that is largely around for insurance purposes
0: and we want uh, listeners to stick around to the end because she gives some recommendations on how to find somebody to talk to yes and it's almost like finding a therapist is almost like dating a little yeah that's how I like to view it so
1: we hope you enjoy this and find this helpful Okay, so we asked Dr. Andrea Hendricks, who is a clinical psychologist here in Birmingham, Alabama, to come break down some of these mental wellness terms for us a little bit more. Andrea has a private practice now, but prior to that, she's lived all over the country. She got her master's and Ph.D. from South Dakota, and then she worked at Duke Medical Center in their behavioral health uh, before moving to san francisco where she continued her clinical practice as well as taught at several universities and she then moved back to alabama where she has a private practice and teaches at the university of alabama at birmingham so thank you so much for joining us
0: andrea Yeah,
2: thanks for having me welcome
0: So we're hoping that you can kind of break down, as Carolyn said, some of these mental wellness terms. And and that's actually a phrase that we've started using because there can be a little bit of a stigma sometimes or not. There is a stigma around mental illness. So tell us a little bit, like, what is anxiety? What is depression? Like, how are they technically defined? This is
2: this is your area of expertise. Okay. So um, I brought props that you can't see, of course. And I brought my big old, you know, DSM, which is the book that we use to to diagnose. Now, diagnoses are always a little, a little interesting, right? So uh, I'll say all the things. And that is in psychology and psychiatry, we still use the medical model. The medical model is a you're in or you're out, right? And that is a, f- for example, in other medical illnesses, you have cancer, or you don't have cancer, you're pregnant or you're not pregnant, right? You're not a little bit pregnant. Um, and we actually use that <laughs> still, as far as diagnoses go for mental health. This is not always the best way to go, in my opinion. However, so when you actually look at a diagnosis you're going to say okay does this person have major depressive disorder and in order to have major depressive disorder you have to have 5 out of the 9 criteria if you only have 4 you do not have depression right no, no, no. well that's not really how it works in clinical practice so when i think about let's let's just talk about depression when i think about depression I, th- I think about the the word depress, right? And the word depress actually means, right, to reduce the level or strength of an activity. Okay, so if we think about the brain, if you think about the word depress, and just that simply, then you can think about anything in your life, right? Any time in your life where you're feeling just, like the level of activity is reduced where the body feels heavy where you're just not up to par right yeah and so for me and with my clinical practice i like that you use the term mental wellness because i often say that i see a lot of people who are doing well that want to do better that's such a great way to put it mm-hmm. um, and so for that it's a if you come in and you say i'm just not like I f- i'm i'm just not enjoying things the way I used to enjoy them. I'm just not feeling as motivated to do things as I used to. I'm just not I'm feeling like me. Anymore. Exactly, right? I'm just not feeling like me. I'm, I'm, you know, maybe other people have noticed that you're just, you're missing a little hop in your step or something like that. I I feel like that is what we call culturally depression. Now, would that person necessarily meet a diagnosis for you know, the official, maybe not. But to me, I'm going to treat it all the same. So whether or not it's a, I'm, I'm just, I feel heavy. Like I just feel like walking is difficult, meaning moving your legs. Or when you sit on the couch and you think, you know, I'll, I'll get up later. Instead of being able to just kind of bounce yourself back. I'm going to treat that the same way as far as, you know, therapy techniques and and discussions. Um, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist specifically, uh, as I am going to treat somebody who meets all those darn criteria, right? And what's interesting about a diagnosis is, one, you have to meet the criteria, but then there's this extra piece at the end that says it also has to have significant, you know, impact on your daily life in your occupational life or your social life or your family. So hypothetically, you could meet all the criteria, but if it's not affecting your life, no big deal, right? Um, It doesn't actually count as a diagnosis. That, That piece is really important. There are some diagnoses that are a little bit more controversial. And what I always say to people about those is if they're not affecting somebody's life in any kind of negative way, then it's not a disorder. It is only a disorder if it is causing clinical significant you know, issues in your occupational, in your family life, in, in I love that. things that are going on. So again, if you meet criteria for a major depressive disorder, it's probably affecting other things. If you meet criteria for one of the anxiety disorders, it's probably affecting other things. I'll give you an example. So an anxiety disorder is a, a, a phobia. We call it specific phobia is the official term for that. Now, if I have a phobia of, I, I don't know, let's say sharks, but I live, you know, in central Alabama, it <laughs> doesn't affect my life, right? Doesn't matter on my daily basis. Do I need to go to therapy and, you know, work on this and have some exposure therapy and, and get over sharks? Nope. Right, I don't. don't. It doesn't matter. It makes no difference in my life. Now, you know, if I, for some reason, decided that I needed to go into the oceans and I was, I don't know, moving to a small island by myself, then yes, okay, I'm going to go to therapy for that. But again, it has to cause this – the problems in your daily life. Can I ask a question? Yes. All right. So you talk about how – like you just
0: said, it has to affect – your you know your daily life. What about instances where you don't really know, like you can't tell if it's affecting your daily life? Or you may not be aware you of it. You may not be aware of it.
1: We're both but be more specific. We both have ins- had instances in our lives where we probably weren't feeling like ourselves but it took someone else pointing it out to us. And then when someone else pointed it out to us, we're like Oh, yeah. I'm not quite myself.
0: Um, like, you either slowly transition into a state of being. Like, <clears throat> for me, I it took a long time for me to realize that I had anxiety. So that's one. Or another, something drastic in your life changes. And again, using myself as, as an example, like I had postpartum depression Um, And so it was having my first child drastically changed my life, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't see, Mm -hmm. right? And I know that that, that's common with postpartum depression, but nevertheless, like, when you talk about – because you just talked about depression. So when you talk about depression, like, how do you, as a clinical psychologist, how do you see – how do you differentiate between – it really affecting your life versus not. And you use the example of like, I didn't want to get up off the couch. Mm -hmm. So how how do you know it's
1: affecting, how 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 do you know it's affecting your life enough to where you need to do something? Ah,
2: there we go. Okay, okay, okay. So thank you. It's the enough question. Yes, frequency. Right, right. So again, this is the difference between what is an official diagnosis on paper versus should you go to therapy? The answer to should you go to therapy is always yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, not just but, because that's your business,
0: but, but, why, but, but, but why? Because in a way it, yeah. it
2: encourages the whole concept of taking care of yourself. It, it, absolutely. So for one, the idea of it affecting your life in some way can be, it, it is as noticed by self or others okay so it can be absolutely so that's part of it is that it can be as acknowledged or noticed by yourself or reported by others that that notice your behavior so for part of that question is if it's noticed by somebody else that's really helpful you know it's nice to for somebody else to say hey you you okay right and then to say i don't know if the answer is i don't know then the answer is probably i could be doing better I, mm-hmm. I could be feeling better. I think I have felt better in the past. But I think that that second piece of what if it's that just things have changed? And I think that people are really good at saying, you know, it's just hard right now. Yes. It, it, it'll be better soon. Yes. Right? And, okay, As soon as soon as soon as I'm not pregnant anymore, then I'll feel better. Okay, as soon as my baby sleeps through the night then i'll feel better well as soon as they start eating i'll feel better as soon as um they go to school i'll feel better as soon as they go to college i'll feel you know as soon as and there's always this this thing and the same thing in relationships right it's well we're struggling right now but there's these particular life situations i always tell people i promise you there will be more stressful things in the future. Right. right. Like, there's it, always
0: going to be another thing. There's always something. Right. It, it's that concept of, like, I mean, I remember when I was thinking about having kids, it was like, I mean, no time is the right time. <laughs> it, I mean, no, just just do it. Yeah. Just rip the Band-Aid off. Like, something is always going to be happening. And even, like, current events, you take, uh, you know, current events being I'm, what I'm referring to as the, the pandemic. Like, I mean, that... Made a huge change in so many people's lives, and then we kept saying, "Oh, we just have to get through these few weeks yeah, of right. quarantine." Okay, now mm-hmm. we're uh, how many months in are we? I don't know, almost a, a lot. year.
2: <laughs> so, uh, along with that is, like I said, I say, you know, I promise you that there will be more stressful things. So, my recommendation is, if there is something that is going on currently that is difficult and stressful, and you You can go in and talk to somebody about it because if you figure out how to navigate this particular thing, sure, it's one particular thing, but really you're learning skills on how to navigate stress. You're learning skills Mm -hmm. on how to navigate lower moods. You're looking, working on skills for, you know, when life is stressful or when I don't really want to get up or when I'm just tired. I would also add,
0: obviously not the professional here, but I would also add that if you were not necessarily the one that noticed mm-hmm. that you were having a series of bad days, as Carolyn sometimes yeah. puts it, or suffering from anxiety or or whatever, um, you therapy also helps you gain self-awareness. Absolutely. So that you can identify some of the smaller simmering things before it becomes like a pressure cooker explosion. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Speaking from a personal experience.
1: So I feel like people think or feel maybe that they have to reach a certain threshold Mm -hmm. when it comes to mental wellness or maybe not doing it. They're not as well as they should be, but we feel like we have to meet a – we aren't that bad. We have to meet a certain – threshold mm-hmm. or we have um, to
0: fit a stereotype that we have in our mind
1: yeah yeah but what are some of those maybe more subtle signs that a lot of times we we package away and say oh it's that's not it's not bad enough um you know i don't know if it's uh, you know not something changes in your sleep or what are some of those more subtle signs of things like Mild anxiety, mild depression that, that people might not be aware of, um, the, that they could be more cognizant of um, in their
2: lives. So going back to kind of what I was saying before is it's those that feeling of just heaviness, the feeling of, I guess I should take a shower could I get away with not taking a shower? If, if you're quite, you know, don't, if, if you have those little questions in your head, well, one, go, go, go take a shower and probably again, call somebody. Um, but, but there are, there's, so that would be a m- milder symptom. Um, ruminating thoughts and ruminating thoughts are the thoughts that go over and over and over again in our heads. Right. And Maybe that causes some difficulty when we're thinking about going to sleep mm. or, um, or it's, it's distracting while we're at work or while we're with our families or while we're with our friends, you know, even in, in situations that I hear people say should be happy. I should be happy. I have all these things. I have this wonderful life. I have all these kids. I have all this stuff. I should feel happy. Why don't I feel happy? What and I, I think that that is a symptom of depression or a sign of of, of some sort of depression that can be worked on, right? Um, but it's it's feelings of, um, one of the symptoms is inappropriate guilt. Inappropriate guilt means where we take things on and and we say like, oh, I just feel, I just... I feel so bad that I did that. Where it's somebody else would say, "What are you talking about?" That's oh not gosh. a big deal. I love that term. Uh, I'm very
1: guilty. Of inappropriate <laughs> guilt.
2: Okay,
0: so, so I'm there guilty you go. of ruminating. There you go. <laughs> no, really. Well, I mean, that's that is something that I know. From, I know now. Going mm-hmm. back to the self awareness, I know now that when I start to ruminate, like, okay, mm-hmm. all right, I'm hitting a little bump. Well,
2: I I will then ruminate over inappropriate guilt. Right. So that's what I was, <laughs> well, so, so was going to say. Is it's interesting because people feel bad that they feel bad when their life is okay, right? And then there's this this spiral of well, I'm now feeling depressed because I feel bad that I feel bad. I'm I feel guilty that I feel bad because I shouldn't. Other people, the worst. Other people have it worse. Well, we can play that game forever. (laughs) Right? We really can. Oh, my gosh. Everybody can play the, like, somebody else has it worse. Well, who, uh, not who cares. People care. We care. But but it's irrelevant. Well, and nothing is worse
0: than when you are feeling down and somebody is like, well, I mean. At least. At least you
2: don't have blah, blah, Uh, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Is that helpful? Did that help you make make you feel better? Yeah,
0: no. No. It made me feel so much worse. Right. If you had just said, if you had literally acknowledged my feelings mm-hmm. and said
2: gosh, that really sucks. I'd be like, Thank you. It, "Thank you." It's it is amazing. And it and I think again going back to the way people feel about it is I feel bad because somebody else has it worse. I shouldn't. I we watch the shoulds, right? Mm-hmm. Always watch the shoulds. I shouldn't feel this way. That if if you say to yourself, I shouldn't feel this way, you need to go talk to somebody.
1: Well, in comparison of any type, I would think, even if you don't feel guilty for feeling that way, but just thinking oh, I'm not that bad or I'm not as bad as what you envision major depressive disorder to be.
2: Right. And so and we live in a society where you're you're supposed to tough it out, right? Mm -hmm. You tough it out and and you can push through it and just keep doing it and tough it out. And again, this is where if you go talk to a therapist you still have to go back to your regular life after. You still technically have to tough it out. You just have better techniques in order to do it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't know are we are we shaming people if they use a shovel versus their hands to dig a hole? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know like That's an amazing. What? Amazing. Analogy. like why wouldn't we give you know here are some tools because you still have to go live your life right 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 like, the therapist isn't coming home and actually fixing your I mean sometimes I wish that she
0: would yeah. <laughs> yes
2: <laughs> that is such an amazing
0: uh, analogy yeah yeah not don't shame people for using a shovel and
2: not using their hands I well, love that and I, I think that an analogy I often talk about is is diabetes right um, if you have diabetes, you take insulin. You do. You do the insulin, right? You don't say, "Well, you know, I think I'm going to tough it out today and see how it goes." <laughs> and nobody says to you, "I mean, have you really? Have you ever gone a few weeks without that insulin pump? Do you really need it?" Right? It's the, true. <laughs> it's true. Which because that sounds crazy, right? Yeah, like, that yeah. sounds not okay. Yeah. Um, but we do that with uh, mental health. We we say, "Well." I mean, do you really need that medication? Yeah.
0: It's yes.
2: True. It's true. I mean, I, we've talked about
0: the fact where I've said, you know, and I have another friend who who takes antidepressants, and she and I talk about it a lot, that, you know, when, when we're, you know, maybe going through, like, a little bit more of a depressive episode, right, where we kind of sit down and we have that conversation with our therapist, like, all right, do we need to go up on our medication do- dosage? And my other friend and I both say the same thing. We're like – We will do anything else. If you tell us that standing on our head Uh and cutting the grass with scissors instead of a lawnmower means we don't have to go up on our medication, we're going to do it. And then one day we kind of looked at each other and we were like, why does it matter? Oh, see, I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's go on up. (laughs) So, but, but, and so for me, the thing is, is that I always think I'm like, well, I don't want to just keep going up, like forever and in perpetuity right that's the part that scares me but the reality is that people might think that too about going to see a therapist and talk to them like you can go for a week you can go for three years I mean you can go at varying times there was a time in my divorce that I was I was going twice a week right I Mm -hmm. and twice a week was almost not enough
2: Right, and, and that's the thing, is I have people that come in twice a week, I have people that come in once a month, I have people that come in once every six months, just as a check-in. Nothing's actually, there's not not something that they're saying, and there's not a catalyst. It's just a, I do this. This is something that I do. self Again, just like going to the dentist, right, or- Going to the gym. Right, going to the gym. Well, if you only go to the gym once every like six months, it's not quite right. But
0: no, 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 <laughs> no, no, you're right, you're right, well, you're right. Why don't we- it's still
2: probably better than nothing.
1: Yes. Why don't we treat this like the medical issue it is?
2: Well, so <laughs> so then that gets back to sort of a... The diagnosis the issue. The diagnosis issue, right? Ah. We're all in or all out. Yeah. So let me take that and go to... We've been talking about depression. Let's talk about anxiety. Okay. Okay. Now, what in the world is anxiety? I don't know. Um, And the reason I say it that way is that in my magical giant book that I have, there are two different sections of different disorders that used to be all in anxiety disorders, and now they're divided up into anxiety disorders and obsessive compulsive disorders. Um, and then within anxiety disorders, you have uh, you know things like social phobias and. Um, uh, just uh, panic disorders and agoraphobia and, uh, and 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 generalized anxiety disorder all of that so again it comes down to a how, how do you know if you have anxiety so mm-hmm. social phobia is anxiety hmm. so interesting okay yep all of, and and ultimately when they when they decided to change these into these different categories. Um, it really kind of came down to what treatments work best and mm-hmm. which medications work best for different things. Um, obsessive-compulsive d- disorders, the antidepressants seem to work well for those. Antidepressants do not seem to work as well for some of these other anxiety disorders, right? So it's, it's that's how they've kind of decided to put these into different categories. Um, Going back to, though, the question about thresholds and sub-thresholds and how do you notice if you have anxiety. So we can go through this book and I can, you know, read you all of the criteria and likely, and a lot of people that I see are going to say, well, I don't really, none of those are quite right, but I, I know I don't, I, I'm not okay. <laughs> You know, and of course, I don't make them go through that. But I think that's what they, you know, that's what would happen because...
1: I don't have a phobia. I don't have OCD.
0: Right,
2: right. I'm not quite right. And so there is is a final category, and there is this for all of the different categories. And that is, it used to be called anxiety, NOS, or not otherwise specified. Now there is, um, it's unspecified anxiety or... Other specified anxiety, and pretty much a lot of people fit into that category, and that means that again, I feel, I feel off. I feel like I just said not not okay. Um, I like to use this analogy when I think about anxiety and what I think about the anxiety that affects people on a day to day basis, and that is if you think about a children's playground and you think about a seesaw. You have, you know, children on each side of the seesaw. And the seesaw goes, you know, all the way up and all the way down and all the way up and all the way down. And the all the way up or the all the way down might fit one of these categories. Maybe we call it panic disorder. <laughs> um, you know, may, maybe, who knows? We call it whatever. Now, when I see kids on a seesaw, they look like they're having fun and, you know, sometimes they get hurt. But what makes me anxious is watching the kid that stands in the middle of the seesaw. Oh, gosh, yeah. Okay. surfing. <laughs> right? So uh, why these children decide to do this, I don't know. Um, just to make moms anxious, I think. But the the kid that sits stands in the middle of the seesaw, the seesaw is not actually moving very much, right? Because it's in the middle. But yet it seems to be the most dangerous place. And I, th- I think about that when I think about people that come in that talk about anxiety. And when I ask them to talk about anxiety, I I first start out by not asking them to talk about their thoughts, but to tell me how their body feels. Because them telling me how their body feels helps me figure out what type of anxiety, how are, how are they feeling on a day-to-day basis? What's really going on in there? And then it gives me an idea of kind of where to go with treatment. But people talk about, or you know, I think about this little tremor, like a, a slight tremor that you just feel that you, again, you know, something's off, you know, you're not really good. It, it feels like maybe you've had too much coffee, or um, your hands maybe shake a little bit, or your heart kind of shakes a little bit, or you, maybe you feel cold. Um, on the other hand, people sort of describe um, everything feeling bigger or louder or overwhelming. So I seem to see that differentiation between either people feeling that slight shake that's constant inside that just they don't really know how to pinpoint it and it should be okay and I'm supposed to breathe now right? Um. So almost feeling a little on edge, on or edge. agitated, on edge, and and agitated, and it's it it makes it very very difficult going back to how does it affect your daily life, Mm -hmm. it makes it very, very difficult to concentrate. It makes it very, very difficult to be mindful. It makes it very, very difficult to give somebody else your full attention. Mm -hmm. And then of course that spirals then back into the feeling guilty for, you know, how we're feeling and all of that. So, so (laughs) uh, these are these sort of sub thresholds of anxiety. And again, Again, how do we treat them? The same way that we treat some sort of, you know, full-blown anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody goes through these periods of time, and whether it's something that's in their life that's throwing them off or if it is uh, neurochemical that just makes us feel off balance.
1: Well, when when you break it down to those more subtle signs, I mean, I think these aspects of mental wellness affect almost everybody. Mm -hmm. Mental wellness or (laughs) mental health issues are not rare. They're not something you should feel like you are alone having. It's not necessarily 1 in 20. It's
2: probably more like 18 in 20. Right. I often say to clients that I'd be worried about them if they weren't upset about the particular situation, or I'd be worried if they weren't feeling anxious, or I'd be worried about them if they didn't feel depressed. Um, that would indicate that there's something's wrong, (laughs) right? This is upsetting. It is anxiety provoking. It is depressing. Um, you know, with cognitive behavioral therapy, we we talk about, okay, what's going on? How are we thinking? How do we alter the way that we're thinking? You know, how do we cognitively restructure things, right? So changing your thinking. Um, changing your thinking about situations, seeing them in a different way. This <laughs> pandemic has made that re- really, really mm-hmm. difficult. And um, part of part of my job and what I do is really see something and say, Okay, here's why it's okay. Here here's here's what could be okay about it. Here's how we can see it differently. Here's how we can think about it differently. And and everybody comes in with a different thing and hour to hour, you know, my job's really really interesting because everybody is, has their own things going on. And during this pandemic, hour by hour, everybody has the same thing. And I can't fix it. I you know. Yeah. We I'm it's it's interesting to stop and say no it's it's actually really bad it actually is so you know okay now how are we going to deal with this yeah. but we can't we can't change that
1: so statistics
2: suggest that the prevalence for
1: mental health issues is on the rise Um, Now, granted, COVID Mm -hmm. helped that along a lot, or at least helped us talk about it more. But do you think, um, you know, some people say that we're just talking about it more. That's why prevalence seems higher. But uh, it feels like also we are seeing more underlying mental wellness issues. Mm -hmm. Do you, what's your perspective on that? And If you feel like prevalence is going up,
2: what do you think are some underlying leading contributors? Well, I think that this is it's a question that cannot actually be answered Um, because we use such different language than we did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, Our kids in school know these words depression. Um, They know the words anxiety. They they know what all of these things are. Our our language is just different. Right. And so. It, we can't really compare statistics of who self-reported having depression 20 years ago to who self-reported having depression now. Y, y, sure you could technically say we can do you know these large then uh, they do they have these you know very very large scale studies that they continue to look at but because we now talk about it in a different way. You can't really compare over time, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, it's you hear younger kids using words and saying like, oh, well, they have depression as to where when I was in elementary school, we didn't say that. Mm-hmm. I didn't we didn't we didn't know that language. Right. Right. Um, we would have said like they're being annoying or they're being sad or or what I don't know mm-hmm. what we would have said but um, I do think that language is a huge factor here I also think that while we're not where we probably need to be we're also much more accepting of talking about it and to to say and to ad- admit to it. Um, and it's while there is a stigma, it's not anywhere as what it used to be, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that's
0: something that's really easy for us to lose sight of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> because there's still there's a lot of talk about how there still is a stigma, and also you look at just, I mean, you've looked at at historically, right? But like right. Carolyn and I haven't l- looked at it historically, and, and so for part of us, it's just anecdotal. Like, we're like, well, when we were growing up, people didn't talk about being depressed or going to see a therapist or, you know, like that kind of, right. and now everybody's doing it, kind of mm-hmm. mentality. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but anyway, it, it's it, it's important and interesting to hear that Um, it's, it is actually more accepted now than it was.
2: Well, in even in... Um, even in the past several years, I want to say a couple years, but I've been doing this a lot longer than I'd like to admit. Um, but in the, the many years that I've been practicing, practicing in, let's say, rural South Dakota. Where you have lived mm-hmm. and practiced. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. I I went from rural South Dakota, then to, to North Carolina, but then out to San Francisco, where um, very different as to how many people are seeking mental health by choice. Mm-hmm. right um, I'll just I mean you can just imagine, right? Um, but when I had a private practice in San Francisco, I had my office right there on the street where people would you know knew could you know name on the door because that's good. you want you' don't to tell the person on the yeah. bus like yeah, I'm going to see my therapist. That's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, still aren't there in Alabama now. Well, and it was interesting moving to Alabama and getting a private practice office and people suggesting that it be um, not on the main drag of some street. Right. I'm not, you know, downtown, air, whatever Birmingham, area. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, kind of back where people can go or not. Everybody knows where they're going. Now, I will say, though, even since I've been practicing here. Um, hmm. I I don't know, seven, 10 years. I've lost track of years. But even since I've been here from when I first started to now, I I feel strongly that people are much more open about it. And, you know, my clients love to tell their friends that they're coming to see me and, uh, you know, then their friends come. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But. but, but there may or may not be a conflict of interest there, but you know. But, but it, well, and what's just fun about living in a smaller town is interesting too, versus mm-hmm. you know a bigger yeah. city. Um, but I do think that that has changed now. Having said that, I don't know. I'm sure that every generation thinks that they had the most stressful time, but we do now have. Um, let me just talk about like high school students. High school is not what we did. And I often see conflicts between parents and, and high school students because the parents say, like, it's not that hard. It'll be hard when you're, you're difficult, when you're in, you know, working later. Because I went to high school and I made it through. Well, their experience is really stressful. I mean, with the classes that they take, there's never enough. You're never competitive enough. It's it, it, the, the pressure is just intense, and social pressure, and social media, and, 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 right? It's, it's exhausting. Um, And I I do think that that is a factor in, um, again, it's difficult to say rates of because it's always self-reported, but uh, self-harm and stress and depression and all of those things. Again, I don't think that we have reliable statistics, but I do feel like what current high school students deal with is more stressful than what we dealt with, I think. Um, And I also feel like, you know, now it's, most families have both parents working and that that's Mm -hmm. necessary. Um, And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. These are just uh, facts. And that wasn't always the case. And, you know, it's just there's a lot. It's never enough. You know, we we just live in a society that is a continuous pressure cooker. And I don't know how long we can go this way until the pendulum has to swing some some other direction. But again, statistics, I don't know that I can say that there are reliable statistics to say that something is more than it used to be because of language. But I do feel like that there are these things that. To cause mm-hmm. more stress
1: so <clears throat> does it matter what you have I know mild stuff we can't give an official diagnosis mm-hmm. but what I'm gathering from you is it kind of doesn't matter if it's anxiety depression or, or something else you kind of approach it all the same way your general approach is pretty similar your recommendations
2: For lifestyle and for therapy and yes and no right so one of the nice things so one of the classes I teach is abnormal psychology and we talk about diagnoses and pros and cons and one of the reasons that we do diagnose is to say here are the empirically validated treatments meaning the ones that have been studied and show statistically to work, um, here are the empirically validated treatments that we see work for this particular disorder, right? So in, in grand, you know, ridiculousness here, we would not use like the same treatment for somebody who has a lower threshold of anxiety as somebody who has schizophrenia. Right, right. So in that way, the diagnosis is really helpful in order to guide us scientifically to a particular type of treatment. Having said that, um, everybody is so different. But ultimately, whether it is that we have, again, sort of bigger panic disorder or um, lower levels of anxiety, some level of the same type of treatment is going to be helpful. and again, like I say, some level. So it's it'll be a little, it'll be different. But I think that this is why we still have humans doing therapy, right? And not just computers. <laughs> because technically, if we just had empirically validated treatments that were supposed to work, you should be able to just have a computer talk to you and tell you, here is now the thing that you will think about. <laughs> right? But we don't do that because... Oh, I'm so thankful. So I think the bottom line is that everybody experiences things differently, right? And nobody's experience is exactly the same as somebody else's experience. Um, My job as a psychologist, right, is to look at human patterns, give advice on treatment based on what I've seen over the years. But the truth is what I've seen over the years, and again, while I can look at patterns and I can give general advice, is that everybody has different players. So let's say for parenting, if we say, oh, hey, here's what you're supposed to do for children. Here are the, you know, make it a token economy and put stickers on a chart, blah, blah, blah. Well, that works for two of your children. And the third one, hates stickers or, you know, whatever it is, right? <laughs> um, you, 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 have to, you have to really think about every specific thing and every specific player. So again, when we think about these um, thresholds, for therapy. Well, there's not one. Because at any given moment or any given scenario, everybody could use a place to talk. Everybody could use um, some outside advice. But it does need to be, it needs to be personalized, right? Um, You know, I think it's interesting when we think about why and when do we go to therapy? And the truth of the matter is that I have people that come in for completely different reasons and for completely different lengths of time. When I was in graduate school, you're taught how to do you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, which I do. I am a cognitive behavioral therapist. But when you're taught it, it's taught in this very protocol way where you will have seven sessions and here's the exact things that you will cover in each of these sessions. And then those sessions will be over and your person will be magically better.
0: I get to go out into the world fully fixed.
2: You're totally fixed. Forever? Sign me up for that. amazing, right? Um, And it's interesting. Is there a payment plan? Yeah. Well, that is actually why it is set up that way in some ways, right? Because then insurance companies get a hold of the research that people do in an isolated research setting where we come up with these treatments. And then the insurance companies say, okay, great. So we will pay for those seven treatments. You better be better by then or else you're paying out of pocket, right? Wow. And and this is is how this is set up. Now, we do have this funny thing within the psychology community between scientists and practitioners, and that's not how it should be. It should be that practitioners are scientists and scientists are practitioners because what happens and works in a sterile environment is, (laughs) the real world's messy. And again, that's why going back, we need an actual human and not a computer doing therapy. But I see therapy really benefit different people in different ways and they're all good. So I have people that maybe came in for a certain issue at first, but decided that this was just a healthy thing to do. Just like you go to the gym, right? You don't go to the gym once a year and wonder why things aren't better. So I have people that I've see once a week for years, and we don't plan to ever end until one of us is no longer functioning. Um, and, then, and then we will stop, right? But that is just going to be the idea. And sometimes they come in and talk about big stressors. Sometimes we talk about past issues. And sometimes we talk about victories and we celebrate progress. Um, I have other people who do want to come in for a very specific issue. Maybe, you know, if you're dealing with like obsessive compulsive issue or a phobia or something like that, that can really be handled in a very specific way. And then that might be a X number of sessions, this is where we are. Um, and then I have other people. Maybe I saw them in the past. maybe I've seen them for a period of time. and we're in this new phase where they just text me or call me and it's it's like an SOS therapy session, right? And we jump on the phone or we you know, zoom or they come in person or whatever it is. And we can navigate the things because we have a relationship built already. And so we don't have to check in all the time, but the relationship is there. And so we can do just a, in the moment, here's the things, here's the stuff, and we get through it, right? I think all of these things are beneficial. Um, So yeah, I think it's just simply a, all the options are good.
0: So really what it it comes down to is there isn't, like, one right or wrong way to approach therapy. Like, if you wanted to go for a set period of time, you can do that. If you find that you're the person that needs to go every week or every other week indefinitely, that's, you know, perfectly acceptable.
2: I'm going to agree with you except one word that you used, and that is the word need. Ah! Okay. So it's... I think you should be able to go to therapy if you want to, you know? Yeah. If you just kind of feel like it. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's funny, and I know that that's not where you were going with it, but it came out of your mouth anyway. Yeah. And so that's where we need to sort of change the way that we think about it or even the way that our just vocabulary is used of we don't need to wait until we need to go because we don't even know what that means. <laughs> but just, Yes. Well, and
0: sometimes, like we were talking about this right before we got on, like sometimes you
1: aren't really sure if you need to go. Mm-hmm. Every single time for me, I've lived in various places and just, you know, whenever I've gone to establish a new relationship with a therapist, every single time that for that first visit when I'm sitting in the waiting room, I'm sitting there thinking, what am I doing here? I'm not that bad. I'm not bad enough to be here.
2: Every single time. Mhm. It, it is interesting I think that you know sometimes people come in for a first session and they'll say you know I'm actually doing better than I was when I called you and it is the simple fact of making that appointment that sometimes starts to be helpful. Um it, but it's the same way where you know we go and have like a skin check for freckles that are making us a little uncomfortable we don't wait until there's a massive growth we shouldn't wait until there is a massive growth on us to say oh gosh i need to go in Mm -hmm. yeah um and then and then it's also funny i have people that will come in that maybe i've seen for a while and they'll we'll get into things and we'll start talking and we really get into some stuff that ends up being really helpful and somebody will say at the end like you know before i almost canceled this appointment because i thought i I don't even know what i'm going to talk about but boy i guess i did need to come in yes i've done that too Uh so many of my best sessions (laughs) were the
1: ones that i was sitting there like i don't have anything to tell her and i almost canceled Mm mm-hmm Yep. i'm glad i didn't
0: yeah or or i'll be like well Maybe this would be something that would be good to talk about today in our 50 minutes. I have to
1: make up stuff.
0: And then (laughs) it ends up being a, like, really good personal, like, growth or understanding or something along those lines.
2: Yeah, it is. It's some of those moments when you're not actually in a crisis that you end up talking about some really important things. So
1: how, what's the best way to go about, let's say someone's listening and is interested in going to a therapist, what's the best way to find one?
2: Okay. Yes. Good questions. So therapists are tricky because some people take insurance. Some people don't take insurance. Some people take some insurances. Some people don't want to go through insurance. Some people want more confidentiality, you know, all of these different pieces. Um, you know, I kind of default to the website psychologytoday.com um which I, I think is nice because you can you can type in where you live, if you want to do insurance, what particular things you want and you can scroll through pictures and profiles of psychologists. Um, it, you know, it's your it's your dating website for psychologists if you will. Sounds weird, but yeah, that's what I mean. Um, so i'm a big fan of that Um, obviously word of mouth is really helpful if you want to figure out what's a good fit you can contact your insurance companies and they will give you a list of providers that they cover if you want to use insurance and then when you go see a therapist if you don't feel great in that first session You don't have to keep seeing that person. You can go try somebody else because people definitely have different styles and different styles work for different people. I always say, you know, if you went to a car dealership and you walked in and they said, well, here's the car you're gonna have, just take it, that's it. You'd say, that's ridiculous, right? You'd say, no, 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 no. I wanna test drive some things. I have some opinions and ideas of what I want, right? We wouldn't just take it that way. Hopefully, you just land on a fabulous person the first time. But if you don't, look, all the research that's out there on which particular therapies work the best, you know, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapies, dialectical behavior therapies, narrative therapies, any of these things, what we always come back to is something called common factors. And the common factors really boil down to... Do you feel comfortable talking to this particular person? If so, therapy good. If not, therapy bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, so
0: I like, I like to say, like, oh, you should consider, you know, dating around, right? Like, mm-hmm. d- like think of going mm-hmm. with your first session as, like, this is almost like a date slash an interview. But mm-hmm. because we have your undivided attention, the part that I want to know is, like, I'm that person – Who's also like, okay, I must sit down and explain that this is my first session and I want to make sure that it's a good fit and blah, 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 blah. Because I'm, like, worried that I'm going to, like, hurt this person's feelings. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, you you have a thick skin, but, like, generally, like – do, do, do therapists talk among themselves about how they get rejected and are they bothered by being rejected
2: so i think some more so than others but i think that a good therapist wants a good fit and so therefore i mean i i always say i'm i'm a good fit for some people and i'm not going to be for everybody and therefore i want them to be with with who's going to be what they need. Um, Sometimes I do have people that come in that will say like, oh, hey, you know, I set up this appointment and I have another one with somebody else in a week and I, uh, you know, we'll talk and whatever. And at the end of the session, I always start by saying, great. So why don't you go home, see how you feel about this, and then shoot me a text or an email and let me know if you want to set up another appointment. And if so, I'll make time for you. If not, like that's you just let me know. Um, Is it appropriate to ghost a
0: therapist?
1: <laughs> I was about to say, that kind of stresses me out
0: having to text
1: like, back do and I say, have to I t- don't want to see you.
2: Yeah, yeah. well then Is that's fine to too. Because again, if you're a good therapist, you're so darn busy. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> you I can know? see that, yeah. Is again where I want to work with people who feel like it's the right fit I don't want to waste anyone's time at all. So yes, so I always say, let me know. But I leave I leave it up to them because the, I, it, again, it's not I don't feel like it's rejecting that therapist, but it's saying this isn't the style of what I'm looking for in a therapist <laughs> at this time, right? Yeah. It's not Oh, well, you're bad at this job, but it's just not right for that particular person.
0: Well, I like yeah. I like that frame of reference too where you say like at this time. Mm-hmm. Like for me that actually makes me feel better when I was like really in the thick of postpartum depression, I had one therapist and then when my you know, marriage went off the rails, I actually tried to reach back out to that therapist and it it was I realized very quickly that that was not gonna be a good fit for Mm -hmm.
2: me. I think you make a really, really good point. And that's where actually, so sometimes I will have clients that I'm seeing that then we will get into a different issue that I will say, hey, I really think that this other person that I think has this specialty would be good for this time. I I would like you to go see that person for these things. And then either you just stick with that person or you can come back, you know, whatever. But again, I want, people to get the best at each specific thing but i also have people that will come in and say hey you know i saw the counselor for a while and i just feel like you know i'd like to try seeing a psychologist which is what i am or i'll have people that come in and say yes i've been seeing this person they were really good for these particular things but i now need to move on and work on this other thing and somebody told me that you'd be the right person to, to push me on this um, and so And in no way do I then say like, well, who was your counselor? They must have been bad, right? I say, I'm so glad that person was helpful for those things. What can I do? You
1: sound like the perfect counselor.
2: (laughs) Too bad you're not taking new clients. (laughs) So, and and then also, I think it's funny when you say like feelings, because, um, you know, some people have strong feelings on, well, I'm a psychologist. Don't call me a counselor. I don't care what you call me. Oh, just show I'm up. I'm sorry. I just called no, you no, a no, counselor. No, and yeah. that's, that's my point. Is like, I don't care. Call me therapist, counselor. Just call me Andrea. It's fine. I know I have a PhD. Well, <laughs> and let's be honest.
1: If the therapist has issues with one client rejecting them yeah. or issues with what you call them, that therapist probably needs some therapy. I
2: agree with you. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. And well, yeah. And then again... All therapists could probably benefit from therapy themselves too.
1: I'm sure. I, I can't imagine how you process at the end of the day all that you've heard. I've always wanted to ask
0: my therapist if she goes to therapy too, but not there yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: Andrea, thank you so much. I really think this discussion was helpful for me. I hope our listeners will find it helpful as well. I think they will. Because we just want to shed some light on going to therapy, but also kind of the signs, the subtle signs that we often don't think are bad enough to seek help and enlighten people on some of those as well. So they might be motivated to, to do
2: something or start thinking about going to see a therapist. Yep. I hope everybody listening goes now.
0: I do too. I think everybody should, <laughs> should go to therapy. Yeah, I agree.